All right, I'm ready. I think I'm finally ready. All right, let's do this. What's up, guys and gals? Over there is J.R. Parks, and right here is J.C. Lindemann. <laughs> and this is the What Makes Us Human podcast episode... 20. 20, Bainte. And today, we have a very special episode... John's excited about this one. I'm very excited about this one. Today we are talking about moonshine. Moonshine. Corn squeezins, white lightning, Mountain Dew. <laughs> Corn squeezins. Ruckus juice. <laughs> thump whiskey. You know, moonshine. I'm still hearing about when I said my wife loves corn <laughs> in the chili episode. Corn squeezing. Corn squeezins. Corn mashing. Yeah. Um, George. No. Jones? Who's, was it George Jones? Who sang... Uh, George Jones. White Lightning. Yep. That was George Jones. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's how... You know, that's one of the ways it's referred to in that song is Pappy's Corn Squeezins. Man. All right. I have to... I just... Now that you said that, I have to do this. Okay. He stopped loving her today. All right. That serenade is by the... I don't know. <laughs> the terrible John Lindemann. Yeah. All right. So episode 20. That's crazy, isn't episode it? Episode 20. Man. So. Hope it's better than episode one, two, and three. Yeah. Kind of started off rough. I think we've kind of gotten into the groove of things a little yeah, bit. Groovy, baby. So. You're not that old. No. Now, you, did you have to do a lot of homework on this one, or... Uh, I mean, I, I'm familiar with the topic. Right. I, I did a little bit. I did some research on just to kind of shore up dates and, and have some ideas on uh, the history a little bit more than, than I already did. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a topic that I have some familiarity with. Have you ever tasted moonshine, JR? Yeah. Okay. I've never tasted moonshine. And for the record... I, we might as well go ahead and get this out of the way. The stuff that you can go to the liquor store or here in North Carolina, the ABC store, because apparently only the government can sell alcohol. The stuff you can get at the ABC store is not moonshine. The fact that it's legally sold on the shelf means disqualifies it from moonshine. Moonshine is all about breaking the law. Not moonshine at the ABC. It's, it's corn liquor. So one time, years ago, when uh, my daughter was like three. We're driving downtown and we pull up to a stoplight and it turns red and so my beautiful wife applies the brake and we stop. And Aubrey from the back seat in her little car seat goes, look. Okay. And we, we look to the right. I kind of look behind me and she's looking to her right and so I look to the right and it's the ABC store and I said, yes, that's the ABC store. And she said, is that where people go to learn to read? Oh. <laughs> now she was three probably sure sure yeah and i was like mm, no not where you go to learn to read yeah alcohol beverage control is what abc stands for yeah yeah so, so or alcoholic beverage control probably so moonshine moonshine starts with immigration okay uh, in the 1700s, you had a large amount of Scots-Irish moving to 
uh, what at that point was the American colonies. And much like today, when large amounts of immigrants move here, the existing people weren't real happy about it. Okay. They uh, weren't really accepted into society. They weren't really wanted. So in large part, they settled what at, where at that point was kind of the edge of civilization in the Appalachian Mountains and the foothills. <laughs> this is so weird. That, uh, okay, so yeah, you get to the Catawba Valley and, man, you're getting out there. Yeah, I mean, this is the same time period that Fort Dobbs here in Statesville yeah. would have been active. And Fort Dobbs, I mean, this was considered the edge of the frontier. Fort Dobbs was there to protect the rest of the state from Native American attacks, essentially. And now Fort Dobbs, for me, means I'm almost to my favorite restaurant. Mi Pueblo? Yes. Okay. Mi Pueblo. I was like, where's he going with this? Because obviously, like, practically every restaurant in Statesville is on that part of town. But Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, that's... Incidentally, we tried their shrimp cocktail this weekend. Okay. Oh, so, so good. So, so good. Have you ever had the at a Mexican restaurant, the shrimp cocktail? I have not. Oh, it came out with limes. I know I'm digressing. but And, and half an orange. Okay. And I'm like, what's the orange for? And, you know, Aubrey said, well, you're supposed to squeeze it, I guess, on the shrimp. Oh, so good. <laughs> I mean, it was unreal. It no, was, I, I did uh, once hear some stories of your attempts at cooking, and it involved squeezing a lot of citrus on things, from what I've been told. So I'm kind of surprised you didn't pick up on that. Yeah, my nickname for about three months was the Citrus Chef at home. All right. Yeah. Hey, it's always good to try try attempt new things. Attempt, so. yeah. Yeah. All right. As they moved, and they moved into this area that was essentially unpopulated, they uh, kind of by default became subsistence farmers. Right. They they essentially had to try to make do with everything they could make themselves. And which is hard. Yeah. <laughs> um, but in a lot of ways, that this that part of the country hasn't changed a lot in that regard that's right there's still not a lot of jobs right and there's still a lot of farmers and a lot of i mean my my grandmother in wilkes county grew up they essentially made everything except a handful of stuff that they couldn't and that for that they'd go trade at the general store for you know things like salt and you know things that they couldn't grow themselves yeah go to town but you know, and in fact, that general store just recently reopened a couple of years ago up on 115. But that was where her dad would take his corn to be ground, and that, and that was where he, you know, essentially trade for the things that he couldn't grow himself. So that's that's sort of how all this starts. As these people come here, and they're learning to make do, essentially, you know, away from civilization. Well, they bring. One of the things that they knew how to make from their time in Scotland, the knowledge of distilling spirits. These farmers, as they're as they're growing crops, they found that you know their excess they could grow a little bit more, and they couldn't really sell it, couldn't transport it really to you know in time anywhere to make useful, but they could turn it into liquor, and. It would store that way, 
it would be worth far more than the ingredients they put into it. Oh, yeah. And it essentially became a currency for these people. You know, there was, there was a lot of areas where, you know, they you, know, you just trade corn liquor rather than, you know, cash. You know, yeah. You know, we should do a pod. We should do one of these on currency at some point. I actually have that on the list. Uh, I've got, uh, like, the history of currency and talking about uh, if Croesus really invented metal coinage right. and all that kind yeah. of stuff. So we'll definitely get into that. But these people were excited about their new country, even though they weren't necessarily welcome. They fought, and they fought, you know, they were well known for their fighting abilities yeah. uh, in the Revolutionary War. Uh, you're familiar with the over-the-mountain men. Mm-hmm. You know, that's this group of people. Yeah. You know, they essentially came over the mountains to fight the British in kind of south of Charlotte here, and uh, then went back. And uh, it, you know, dealt a major blow to 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 British troops, and that was not just here. That was something that this group of people was they were known for. They did not like the British. It's one of the reasons why they left Scotland. <laughs> you know, and they took they brought that with them, and they applied that. So, after the Revolutionary War, this new American government decides it's got to pay off some debt. You know, acquired a lot of debt during the war. There's nothing new, is there? Nope. So they passed out in 1791. Treasury Secretary Alexander Hamilton instituted a tax on liquor. Oh. two dollars per gallon. Wow. On liquor. Back then. Back then. Two dollars a gallon. Of course, a gallon's a lot of liquor. It is. Because what's the what when you when you pour somebody a shot? What is that? Two ounces. Um, or three ounces? What is that? I'm not positive. Uh, if you have the answer I, I, to this, please I, contact I, us at What Makes Us Human. <laughs> so when you're mixing drinks, uh, a jigger is two and a half ounces, I think. Oh, okay. But I don't know how that would relate to a shot glass, but you're probably in the ballpark. But a gallon's a lot. A gallon's a lot. But, but $2. Still, $2 in 1791 is a significant amount of money. Man, and this is in 1791. Dang, I mean, my dad was going to the theater in the in 1950 for like a dime, <laughs> you know. And this was seen as uh, particularly egregious to poor folks and to these Scots Irish. Way to go, Hamilton. Yeah, I always have to remind my wife for a multitude of reasons when she starts singing Hamilton songs from the. Uh, oh, the play, play. Hamilton. Yeah, that yeah. Alexander Hamilton's the bad guy. Remember that. <laughs> Not necessarily for this, but in general. Anyway, the reason why I've seen this particularly egregious and, and particularly oppressive to poor people is that's who drank whiskey. The rich people were drinking rum, and this didn't apply to rum. Oh, so this okay. is particularly a tax okay. on so Captain something Morgan that, wasn't having a huge tax. Something that poor people are drinking and drinking a lot of. A lot. And something that these Scots Irish are making. Yeah. You know, with their excess crops. So this helped push it underground from the get go. Well, right off the bat, this led to something called the Whiskey Rebellion. There you go. They as 
tax collectors became brave enough to go into these mountains to try to collect Ooh. from these people. Oh. In true American fashion, they started tar and feathering these guys. Yeah. To the point that an inspector general finally got fed up with this and went, this is in uh, western Pennsylvania, so the upper part of the Appalachian Mountains. Okay. And, and as these people settled, they settled everywhere from like Georgia, North Georgia, all the way up through you know Pennsylvania. Yes, yeah. that's, that's the Appalachian Mountain Range. So this is a wide area. This inspector general went into Western Pennsylvania, basically mad about what keeps happening, to try to forcibly collect. Ooh. Well, uh, a resistance sprang up. They chased him to the local tax inspector's home. This was in 1794, and they burned it to the ground. Mm. I didn't see a mention that the inspector general or the tax inspector died. I did see that uh, the tax inspector, or one of the two of them, shot uh, the leader of this band of people. That was the only death I saw referenced. Now, this they, is about 600 people. They chase this guy to this guy's house, and they burn the house to the ground. So if you're being chased by 600 angry Scots-Irish liquor-swigging... Men. Men. <laughs> I'm trying to think of the next adjective, but I was running out quick. Um, did you run home? I don't think I'd have run well, home. He didn't run to his house. He ran to the tax inspector's oh. house. Oh, <laughs> okay. And the that tax hard. inspector's house got burned down. Perfect they, they, they destination. Didn't like, they didn't like the tax inspector anyway. Perfect destination. But, now, okay, let me ask that question. Are these people angry because they're being taxed, but they don't see any representation? In their mind, they just fought a whole war to not have to deal with this particular kind of nonsense. Yes! Yes. So, Hamilton demanded from Washington a military response to this. Washington said no. You're right. And tried to negotiate with these rebels. Uh, they were being called the Whiskey Rebels at this point. All right, band name. <laughs> It gets up to where there's about 6,000 of these guys mustered together because these guys fought in the military in western Pennsylvania. And after about a year, as negotiations break down, finally Washington agrees to send in troops. Mm. So, with Washington, Hamilton, and Virginia Governor Henry Lee at the head, 13,000 federal troops march into western Pennsylvania, ready to face this what they see as a violent insurrection. But Washington sent messengers ahead of time to these people that said, hey, there's 13,000 regular army troops coming to meet you. On the way. So by the time that the troops got there, they had dispersed. But they never had any more luck collecting taxes from these Scots-Irishmen in the Appalachian Mountains making liquor. They didn't try anymore. They were just like, okay, we're leaving, the, we're leaving these people alone. Wow. And eventually, Jackson, I think it was Jackson, um, got rid of the tax. Oh, Andrew Jackson? Yeah. <laughs> no, excuse me, Jefferson. Jefferson. Oh, okay. I'm like, wow, we fast-forwarded there. Jefferson uh, repealed the tax. Okay. There were only two convictions for the Whiskey Rebellion, and both were pardoned by Washington. Hmm. So basically, let's live and let live. Let's not try to get any more taxes from these people and just let them do their thing. Man. Yeah. Now we're going to fast forward to the Civil War. Okay, now it's about to get real. In the Civil War, once again, 
To offset the cost of war, Congress starts trying to collect taxes on luxuries, including liquor and tobacco. Okay. Technically, the production of moonshine still wasn't illegal. It wasn't illegal when they were doing it in Washington State. It's not illegal in the Civil War time period. It's the selling it. Right, yeah. Because the government wants their cut. It's a matter of taxation. So in the 1870s, active patrols began to resume in the Appalachian Mountains, trying to find these these uh, stills. That, that was pretty much... This kind of went on for a while where... They were looking, there would be an occasional violent clash, but there wasn't a whole lot. Kind of you know, sporadic things here and there. Until we get to Prohibition. <laughs> prohibition, uh, starting in the 1870s, uh, America began to uh, decide to go on the wagon. There's a lot of people arguing that hey, all these bad things we're seeing in society, alcohol is to blame. Right. All the violence, alcohol is to blame. But the weird thing about that was some of, some of these prohibitionists would go into saloons with hatchets and bust windows and bust open kegs of whiskey and all that. So yeah. it kind of goes against their argument that alcohol is the result, you know, causes the violence, because in this case, they're causing the violence. Right. But whatever. Yeah. But, Did any of those people get arrested for? Oh yeah, destruction of property and disturbing the peace. And oh yeah, assaulting people and. Yep. Okay. All right. And they just basically use the courts as a platform to preach their message of ah, prohibition. Okay. So. Okay. All right. So kind of through the coalition of a lot of different political grassroots political groups, there's enough momentum that the 18th Amendment making the manufacture, transport, and sale of alcohol banned. Totally banned. All aspects. Not consumption, technically. Right, but you can't But you can't, you make, can't it. make it, you can't transport it, and you can't sell it. <laughs> right. So. Oh, this is in Legends of the Fall. You seen Legends of the Fall? I have not. What? Oh, gosh. Okay. Yeah, this is in Legends of the Fall. Okay. He, they, they do bootleg liquor to make money. Okay. Yeah. So, bathtub gin. So alcohol is now ostensibly manufacturing, transporting, selling, selling alcohol for human consumption is is now illegal. People still want their drinks. This is where we get these girly drinks. Well, this is where organized crime comes from. <laughs> yeah, organized crime really wasn't a, like there was a couple little pockets, but organized crime really wasn't a thing. That's nice. Big, I went. I went to Pina Coladas, and you went massive. straight to the mob. <laughs> yeah. And so these groups coalesce together. It's a lot of Italian groups and a lot of Irish groups. Yeah. Uh, families that would work together. Uh, the Irish kind of took the let's take over Boston. the government, let's take over the police, and let's take over the criminal enterprises, and sometimes all in the same family. Um, the Italians was more around. Uh, more organized and more around the um, the criminal side of things. Right. Um, obviously, the Irish folks who were getting these positions in government and, and with the police were just using it to allow their family members to continue on with their illegal activities. Man, but, they had it wrapped, didn't they? Yeah, and they particularly focused on Boston, New York, Chicago. They had Beantown wrapped. 
Maybe that's how Cheers got started. As they're looking for a source of alcohol, they came, you know, they, they came up with several. But one was they turned to all these people who had been making um, alcohol in the mountains. And this is sort of where we begin to see the term moonshine and moonshiners used for, for these people in this product. Oh, okay. Because now that it's illegal, they start making it at night. Hence the name. Not a very creative name, no. but hence the name. Not moonlighting, moonshining. Yes, yes, totally different things. Yeah, one's Bruce Willis. I just pictured Bruce Willis around a still in the middle of the night. <laughs> Yippee ki <laughs> baby. So prohibition only outlawed recreational alcohol, like not with the words, but that was the idea. But industrial alcohols were still a thing, and people were desperate. Oh gosh, here we go. So this is gonna make my nose burn and my eyes water. They, you know, start consuming this in, in various ways. This is where they break into belts and drink aqua velva. And the government, the, the particularly one individual who was who driven this whole prohibition thing and was kind of put in charge of it, gets the idea that we should poison industrial alcohol. Mm. And. The other people working with him was like, well, let's just make it taste bad or let's make it make people a little sick. No, he wanted it to be lethal. So it would kill the people that, that drink consumed it. it. Yes. And who was this guy? I I've, I neglected to, to, to get his name. I forget now. He was the driving guy behind the temperance movement. Hold on just a second. Wayne Wheeler. Wayne Wheeler. Wayne Wheeler. Not a very good guy. So, you know, you don't fight... It, you, it's not right to fight crime with more crime. That is not... Yeah. You know, if you consider this a crime, killing the... Piss, oh, my gosh. This yeah. is crazy. And so, it was still... You know, this industrial alcohol was still being stolen by bootleggers and sold. And by Prohibition's repeal, it's estimated that the number of federally sanctioned poisonings were roughly 10,000 people that mm. died as a result of the federal government poisoning industrial alcohol. And that's just deaths. A lot more people got sick and, and other things, but that's 10,000 people who were poisoned by the government and died. Man, that's terrible. That's like 10,000 more people than we're comfortable with being poisoned by the government and dying. <laughs> right. Yeah, this is terrible. Yeah. Oh, man. What a... But you know what? What a... You know, this is back, this is off topic a little bit, but this is, you ever seen a river runs through it? If I have, it's a long time ago. Oh, Jared, ago. you're it, killing me, man. It rings a bell, but okay. I can't tell you a so, thing you know, about this, it. It's such a time to be alive. This is when any guy could wear a fedora and get away with it. It's true. You know what I mean? And there were speakeasies and the music and, oh, man. Yeah. And the government is poisoning people. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. And Wheeler's argument when someone complained that hey you killed my husband or whatever right, yeah. was basically no he did it to himself by drinking alcohol right yeah terrible human being anyway way to go Wayne obviously that was not an election year yeah <laughs> <laughs> and there were other dangers around this stuff because the people who had been making liquor for a long time knew what they were doing and yeah. it was safe and, and all of that people who didn't you end up with things like methyl alcohol 
and a lot of other bad stuff that you know will make you really sick or kill you, make you blind, make you go blind. Yeah, there's a couple rules to doing this that we'll get into. And if you just if you don't know a, a few of the cardinal rules of moonshine, you're gonna mess yourself up. Yeah, I mean, hypothetically speaking, if you're ever gonna try to do this, and I don't recommend it because if you don't know what you're doing, you're gonna kill yourself or someone else or possibly all of the above. But when you first start making it, the first when you when you you you, know, you create a mash with uh, with corn or barley or you know a grain that you have on hand or if you're in prison a honey bun under your mattress <laughs> right and jailhouse hooch you you know you add water and you basically let it kind of sour you want it to be bitter if, yeah. it, if it works well it'll be bitter and this can take three days it can take a month it depends on temperature outside and all that yeah uh, you're going to take your mash and, and good clean water. You can't use city water because of the stuff that's added to it. Good clean cool mountain water, water. Mountain water. Mountain water. And you're essentially going to you know, bring this to a boil and run it through a coil and then don't won't get into all the details. This is where essentially the copper coil comes copper in. Copper coil comes in, you know, so the steam condenses in the coil and drips, you know. This is not a complete description, but right. what drips out the other end, the first things that drip out are called the heads. And the heads have a lot of bad stuff in it, including things like methyl alcohol. And don't drink kill the heads. You. Don't drink the heads. Also, don't drink the tails. Don't right. drink what comes at the end. But if you did everything right, then right in the middle, you'll have a sweet spot of really strong alcohol. That sometimes they say it tastes like apple pie if they add apples to it. Yeah, I mean, there's people flavor it, but it's it's a uh, it's strong liquor. And I wonder if anybody ever flavored it with licorice. I'm sure somebody has. That just has a that, that just has a ring to it. Licorice liquor. I I uh, I'm not a fan of licorice, so I, oh, I don't. I am. Oh man. I don't want anything to do with that. So good. But, so these people are providing alcohol and it's making its way into cities through the likes of guys like Al Capone and all these other organized crime individuals. In some cases, it's good. In some cases, these people don't know what they're doing and, you know, people are dying. But a lot more people are dying because of the government. Finally, people have enough of it and prohibition is repealed. Yeah. That sort of cemented, like, Prohibition kind of cemented the Moonshiner's place. Because in a lot of cases, these were people who they were doing this to, you know, to make ends meet, to, to buy the stuff that they can't grow themselves. This turned it into, some of these people are making pretty good money now. They're making a lot more liquor, and it's being, you know, eventually making its way to big cities, and, and you know, obviously... The mob and everyone else is taking their cuts, but these people are making a lot more money now. Just probably, you know, just out of the blue because of the government and the prohibition. Yeah, it's these like people a windfall. Were, these people were nothing, you know, doing, you know, in their in the woods, kind of minding their own business, growing their crops and making their liquor and trading it with their neighbors. And then suddenly, oh, they're the ones who know how to make liquor. So yeah, they suddenly. got people from Charlotte calling. <laughs> suddenly, there is lots of. Yep. We need more of that in Rock Hill. And so that's kind of where 
moonshine starts to die off. So once, because of the safety hazards and things, once prohibition's repealed, people are excited about safe alcohol. And that's kind of what gives us our current, you know, boom of you know, whiskey, whiskeys, bourbon, things of that nature that, that uh, become so popular, you know, since prohibition. Yeah. But in a lot of cases, these guys just kind of went back to what they were doing before. You know, they're making enough to trade for what they need, and that's pretty much it. Um, but it certainly didn't go away, and it hasn't gone away. There's probably fewer people making it now than there used to be. But this it was and is still a thing. Oh, yeah. I've been playing cards over at a friend's house before, and somebody reaches under a chair and pulls out a mason jar that looks like water, and I was like, oh, wow, I don't, I don't drink, but knock yourself out, Jack, <laughs> you know? Yep, yep. <laughs> yep. And uh, it's sort of almost seen as a rite of passage in, in the South to find, to procure real moonshine. Yeah. But, because you have to know somebody who knows somebody. It's not something, you know, it's not an easy thing. Because well, I guarantee the government you. still wants their tax money. They're yeah. still upset, and they'll still lock these people up. Yeah. My great-grandfather... Spent on my dad's side, spent a year and a day in Atlanta Penitentiary for moonshine. Nice. You know why it's a year and a day? Why? Because if it was a year, you might get off early for good behavior. It's a year and a day, it ensured you're going to serve the full full year. Oh, nice. So that was the sentence. It was a year and a day, and that was a common sentence. Yeah. So, but he, farmer who, you know, grew. What he, they made everything, you know. My great grandmother. I did not know my my great grandfather. He was a good bit older than my great grandmother. My great grandmother died when I was twelve, so I've you know I, I knew her. All around her house, she had pretty flowers and plants and things. We had a big wraparound porch and and plants everywhere. They were pretty, but that wasn't their only purpose. She could tell you, oh, somebody had. In fact, she did. She walked my mom around the property one day and said, like, hey, if somebody has an upset stomach, you take this and mix it with this. And, right, yeah. You know, or if they have a cold, you do this and this. And they made every, they grew everything they needed. And, uh, you know, that's just kind of the the sort of people, you know, that's that's my people on both sides of my family. Yeah. One, one is here in North Carolina. And mom's side of the family is from West Virginia, and it's similar. When mom was a little girl... Her and her cousin were, you know, she she did not grow up in West Virginia, but they were back visiting, and her and her cousin were, you know, wandering around the woods, and they came across a still. I believe she said it was in a cave, but I, I'm, I'm not sure. It's been a while since I heard her tell this story, but they kind of freaked out, and they ran back to tell their <laughs> grandpa that they just found a still on his property, and mom he said... Mom said he, his demeanor totally changed, yeah. and he said, if you ever tell anyone what you found, they will never find you. Nice. <laughs> and he was the sheriff. There you go. So that's that's sort of the joke that, uh, I mean, he never admitted that it was his, but he never admitted that he was going to do anything. Right. But that's sort of the, the the joke in my family is that my great grandpa on one side spent a year and a day in Atlanta penitentiary for running moonshine and my great grandpa on the other side didn't get caught because he was the sheriff mm-hmm. separate states but still yeah 
So this is a thing that, you know, my his his son, one of my great uncles, actually ran it along with Junior Johnson. And Junior Johnson, for our audience members who don't know, was in was a NASCAR racer. He was involved in kind of the creation of NASCAR. And that's running um, bootleg liquor is where NASCAR kind of got its roots. Because these people would soup up their cars so they could outrun the law when they were hauling moonshine. And they sort of just started racing each other. You know, they got really good at making their cars really fast. Yeah. And they would you know, have races with each other. And somebody got the idea of let's organize this thing. And, you know, NASCAR was born. But, yeah, my great uncle actually was involved with the same group of men that Junior Johnson was. And Junior Johnson's estate or whatever, because I think he's dead. Um, his estate or whatever makes a, something they call moonshine. But, again, it's legal, so it's not, not, it's moonshine. not moonshine. It's corn liquor. But yeah. this is something that has existed in, and still exists to this day. That these people, that's how they get by. And you know, if, for our listeners, if you, especially if you live here in the South, if you ask around at work or family or church or wherever, you're probably, if you ask three people, eventually somebody that you ask is going to say, oh yeah, we've got some, you know, do you have moonshine at your home or something? Oh yeah, somebody's going to have it. Or know where you can get it. Or know where you can get it. Yeah. Out behind the canned tomatoes and the canned green beans in the pantry, there's a jar. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, it's very it's very interesting, and it, you know one of the reasons why it still proliferates is there's not still not a lot else for people to do. You're right. You know, I, I've I've talked to uh, cousins of mine who are, are my age and younger uh, in in West Virginia that uh, they've talked about the struggle for jobs. You know, they might find something in the construction industry, but it's kind of hit or miss. They can be farmers, but you know, if you're a farmer, if you're lucky, you're land rich and cash poor. Oh, okay. Um, you know, if you if you can get to that point where you can buy a lot of land and kind of keep things going, but you're never going to make a lot of money. Uh, and you know, be a farmer, work in construction. One of them got a job at uh, Warehouser that makes the uh, OSB. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's th- there's a few jobs there, but. There's just not a lot else, and that's also why things like um, growing weed and uh, you know meth and things like that also have have proliferated in those areas for the same reasons. Yeah. But there's just not a lot of other choices. Yeah. But yeah, that is the history of moonshine essentially. Like it is a its roots come from Scots Irish folks, but it is it is it is an American thing. Why the mason jar? It's what it's what they had. It was available. Yeah. Okay. So, do they have moonshine in Scotland? They there's a history, particularly when the British were being not so great. There was a bit of a history of uh, making liquor, uh, probably Scotch, I would assume, uh, kind of illegally. Okay. But it was never called that. Like, I heard one time that the term moonshine dates back to Scotland, but in my research I found no evidence of that. Okay. Like, there was it, there was some use in Britain that it was used to refer to people who worked at night, generally. 
just anybody uh, who works at night or moonshiners. Yeah. But as far as referring to people who illegally make alcohol and then the product that they make, it's a very American thing. I have noticed since we started the podcast that a lot of times you do research and something you've heard all your life, it turns out there's no evidence for it. Yeah. Yeah. That, that happens a lot. Yeah. But yeah, my, uh, my, my grandpa, so on my mom's side, my grandpa, his grandfather was the game warden for the county. And my grandmother, her dad was the, so my, my grandpa was made by his grandpa. And, uh, so his grandpa was game warden. My grandmother, her dad was the sheriff. And uh, Papal tells stories of, of the two of them sort of working together to go bust stills, which means if he was also making it on the side, <laughs> it makes it all the more interesting. Yeah, but he's taking out the competition. There was a lot of that. Yeah. So that's Moonshine. Moonshine. That's very interesting. Very interesting. Now, I will say, if you're, if you're dealing in this kind of thing and you're wondering, we mentioned meth, don't do that. That is, <laughs> oh, man. Drink up the moonshine, but do not do meth. That's bad. That just look just, at the pictures on the internet of the people that do it. That is, that is, that is very bad. Oh, man. So, yeah. I once worked with, uh, Woo! I once worked with a paramedic when I was, when I was still in that field who had stories of when she was younger uh, how much she loved she called it pink lemonade crystal meth ooh not good and um, yeah she obviously she cleaned up her life and all that but this woman scared me to no end because I was like this this is a scary individual like oh man yeah I mean if, if you do meth your teeth are gonna jump out of your mouth like rats off a burning ship you know what I mean? It's and you will look like you have smoked since you were a fetus. It, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It. So, uh, my buddy Brad, who's a fan of the show, shout out to Big Brad Moore. Uh, he he once said that meth does to people what November does to jack o' lanterns. <laughs> I think that is so true. I, I, I could see that. If you leave your jack o' lantern out too long after Halloween, that's what meth does. It just curls up. You know what I mean? Yes, so um, I don't drink, but I would say uh, take you a swig of moonshine any day over smoking all the stuff that's under your bathroom cabinet. <laughs> so that was good. Anything else? Uh, oh, I also had a fellow named uh, Dave Beach reached out to me. He's uh, a new listener to the show, so shout out to Dave. Um, I thought when whenever somebody reaches out... Uh, we should shout them out there. So sure, sure. Shout out to Big Dave Beach. So appreciate everybody listening. Absolutely. Well, folks, you can find us on social media at WMUH Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can email us WMUHpodcast at gmail.com. We love to, we always love to hear from our listeners. Yes. Do you know what topic we're going to have next week? Not yet. Not yet. But I can guarantee it will be very good. All right, excellent. Excellent. Well, folks, we will see you next week. All right. Later.